Hey guys, this is Dale Tedder, and welcome to the Walking Points podcast for today, where we are helping you walk faithfully with Jesus Christ in every sphere of your life. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a fancy term would be worldview discipleship, or I have called it kingdom discipleship. But basically what we're talking about is that our Christian faith touches and ought to influence every sphere of our lives, all of life falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking about what that means. Uh, Perhaps now more than ever, uh, we certainly need to be thinking in terms of how the Christian faith ought to be influencing all the different parts of our world uh, in this time of coronavirus and people going through tough times economically. And now we're being reminded uh, of all our uh, racial issues in our culture, that and so much more, all these things are in desperate need of the salt and light influence that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Christian worldview bring to bear. So guys, that's what we're going to be talking about, not only today, but the two weeks following today. So this is going to be a three-week series, and I hope you stay around for it. Thanks for checking in. Here we go. Well, guys, as I was talking about in the introduction, we are living in a time right now where we definitely need the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Christian worldview. We need that godly influence of being the salt and light, of being kingdom people, true kingdom people, people that have truly been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are seeing the world and living in the world as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ and not just nominal Christians who are not making a difference. Uh, If there's anything that has caught our attention in the last two or three months, it has been um, not only the virus and having to deal with the new reality of social distancing, uh, the economic downturn that's happened because people have been out of work and businesses have been closed and some businesses are being closed permanently. And now over the last uh, two or three, four days, we've had uh, riots and racial tension. Uh, that's always existed, of course, but now we're being reminded of the situation, the, the, the state that we're really in, as people are crying out saying, well, this cannot go on. Uh, something has to change. And we as Christians ought to be agents of change for the gospel, for truth, for justice, for mercy, for grace. Uh, for all that Jesus Christ, uh, all he all he was, all he stood for, and we should represent him well as his witnesses in this world. And so I wanted to ask just right off the bat is, what would our culture look like today if the church behaved like the church? That is, if we really did act like the salt and light that Christ said we were. Now that's important. Christ didn't say, go and be salt and light. He says, you are salt and light. And so that's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves. Am I, am I acting as the salt and light that Jesus says that I am? I mean, what would our world look like if we as Christians were living lives worthy of the calling that we have in Jesus Christ? If we really were serving as salt and light in a very dark and decaying world? How might our society be transformed if the church truly functioned as who she is called to be, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, as salt and light. 
Again, those are not hypothetical or even rhetorical questions, are they? I mean, these are real questions. They're real questions for real times, for real people just like us. Now, sometimes we may reflect on how bad off our culture really is. We may bemoan the fact that there is nothing we can do about it. And I know a lot of people have felt helpless over, uh, well, gosh, since 2020 started. I mean, this has been a tough year in lots of ways. And so, you know, it's really highlighted what's, what's not going well. But I want to offer us an example of Christians who did make an impact in their culture, an impact that eventually led to the culture's significant transformation. Now, for all of its power, for all of its might, and even for some of its virtue, the Roman Empire was a decadent place. I mean, it is not a place um, that you wanted to live necessarily. And it was in the midst of that empire that the Church of Jesus Christ was born. When the early Christians weren't being persecuted for their faith, they were at best really only being tolerated. They were still greatly marginalized. They were barely tolerated. Really, they were just a subgroup of the Jewish faith uh, for a period before they kind of came into their own and were persecuted just for being Christian. But if you add to that that they were just one faith on a buffet table of many faiths, you realize you know they didn't stand out. There was nothing necessarily that would commend others to become Christians. Therefore, I think it's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing that this small, uh, this seemingly insignificant group of marginalized and oppressed people could turn the empire so completely upside down that one day it would actually be declared the official religion of Rome. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think that Christianity went from absolutely nothing, a small little handful of people, to the official religion of the mightiest empire of the day. So what happened to bring that about, humanly speaking? Of course, we know God is why that happened, but humanly speaking, what happened? Well, lots and lots of things to be sure, but I want to consider just two examples uh, today. First of all, one example is this. It was customary for unwanted babies to be discarded in the garbage heaps of Rome, literally. When someone would have a baby and they could not care for the baby or they did not want the baby, and usually it was a girl, they would take it to the trash heap in Rome uh, and just leave it there. And so uh, it, when the child wasn't born the right sex uh, for the family, it just, I guess the family thought this will be a liability. We need, you know, we can't have this baby or we need a, a male child for working in the gardens and the vineyards and the farms. I don't know. But anyway, they really found themselves having to, not having to, but they chose to put these babies in the trash heaps. So the family would take the baby down to the garbage heap and they would leave the child there to die. And so the early Christians would keep a sharp eye out on such things. And what they did in response was amazing. When that happened, our brothers and sisters in the early church would go down to those garbage heaps. They would retrieve those children and they would take them home to raise them as their own. They weren't doing it for social status because there was nothing in it for them. They did it as an act of love. What an incredible witness to the world 
that must have been. So that's the first example. Second, throughout the Roman, uh, throughout Rome's history, there were times when devastating and deadly plagues broke out in densely populated living quarters. Can you relate to that? Does that seem like what's going on in our world now? Well, <clears throat> back then it wasn't the worldwide, and so what a lot of people in Rome, most of their citizens would do, is they left Rome as quickly as possible in hopes that their own lives would be spared. So what did our brothers and sisters in the early church do? They remained behind. Why? So that they could care for the sick, so that they could care for the dying. They did it to show the love of Jesus Christ even in the midst of death. And I want you to know that that sort of sacrificial servant mentality cost some of those Christians their very lives. But it also accomplished something huge. It revealed the life-transforming power of the gospel through an outward witness. It showed that Christian discipleship is not merely for Sunday mornings. It showed to all of Rome that Christians truly put their money where their mouths were. And as a result, people turned to Christ. People turned to Christ in droves, in fact. Christianity grew, and it grew. And Jesus Christ was mightily exalted. And the culture became, uh, began the process of becoming transformed, at least for a season. Now, these two examples show us what can happen when Christians are functioning as salt and light in their world. You see, they took seriously the call by Jesus to be salt and light. Jesus said, you are salt and light, go and be salt and light. And I believe that our scripture today is a wake-up call to the church for just that very thing. Now, we find these words about being salt and light right on the heels of what we call the Beatitudes. They are the first 12 verses in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And if you were familiar at all with the Beatitudes, you know how powerful they are. It's there in the Beatitudes that Jesus shows us a picture of what every single Christian should look like. Okay, Not some Christians, not those that are just deeply committed Christians, but what every Christian should look like. And in particular, we have Matthew 5, 3-10. through 10. So let me read this for us. <clears throat> this is Jesus, and he's... Uh, speaking or preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, these verses, these beatitudes, describe, again, like I said, what every Christian should look like. These are not specifically for those special forces, recon disciples of Jesus. They are to to mark what each and every Christian is supposed to look like, the everyday, ordinary 
rank-and-file Christians. In other words, you and me. And as you can plainly see, these characteristics are very countercultural. And that's why I say that the Christian faith, the Christian worldview, really is the only true counterculture. I mean, we cannot easily imagine these words uh, being printed as a, a vision statement on Wall Street, necessarily, or in Hollywood, or in Washington, D.C., or some executive's office somewhere, can we? But sadly, we don't find these words represented in the lives of many Christians either. I mean, it's hard to be salt and light to a dark and decaying culture when there is no marked difference between the two. And that's really sad to have to say. According to George Barna, who's a statistician and guru and pollster for all things religious, at least in the United States, he says that that's really our biggest problem today, that there's no real difference between people who call themselves Christians and people who say specifically that they are not Christian. Instead of the church influencing our culture, it seems like the exact opposite has happened. The culture is influencing the church. We don't look very different from the world. And, and so listen to these words by George Barna. He says, Two out of every three American adults claim that the United States is a Christian nation. Don't believe it. Never have so many been deceived. Based on an analysis of 131 measures of distinctive attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors, we have developed a means of assessing the influence of the Christian community in America. This evaluation, he says, is based on a comparison of the similarities and differences between Christians and non-Christians. The data demonstrate that although Christians are distinct in some areas of thought and deed, they generally represent an invisible and ineffective presence in the U.S. Surprisingly, few Christians have developed a holistic, integrated, and balanced form of Christianity that provides unbelievers, non-believers, with a viable lifestyle alternative to consider. Now that is sobering, isn't it? I mean, that is sobering and it is tragic. And sadly, it's all too true. But then after he reveals that unbelievers and Christians are almost identical in most spheres of their lives, he then summarizes his conclusions with these words. He writes, The bottom line is that in the dimensions of life where Christians can truly influence their world, i.e. in the non-religious domain, we have failed to demonstrate the power of our faith. Christianity is not losing influence in America because it is overmatched by the challenges of the day. It is losing its impact because believers have been unsuccessful at merging faith and lifestyle outside the walls of the church. Non-believers expect us to have different religious beliefs and practices. Those differences fail to impress them. Only when those beliefs and practices practices shape every other walk of life, do they sit up and take notice. Now, friends, this is a really important insight for us to sit up and take notice of. You see, in the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us about the inward and personal character of his followers. Again, the real counterculture. And then he makes an important shift that I really want you to notice here. He tells us that it's impossible, 
it's impossible that's important it's impossible for us to really and truly follow the norms of the kingdom of god to be his followers in the world in a purely private way new testament scholar don carson writes these words he says the righteousness of the life you live will attract attention even if that attention regularly takes the form of opposition in other words the christian is not poor in spirit mournful over sin meek hungry and thirsty for righteousness merciful pure in heart and a peacemaker all he says in splendid isolation no he says these countercultural norms if they're faithfully practiced in a sinful world they will make up a major aspect of our witness as christians and so that's why Jesus follows up the Beatitudes with the words about being salt and light. What we might call our cultural commission, our outward witness to the world. And so Jesus develops two metaphors to picture how his disciples must, by the way they live their lives, leave their stamp on the world. He calls us salt and he calls us light. And this is what I refer to when or this is what I'm referring to when I say worldview discipleship or kingdom discipleship. But before I explain what 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 that means, I, I want to ask you some more questions. Something for you just to ponder a little bit, reflect on and see how you're doing. What if we as Christians or maybe I should just be real pointed. What if you as a Christian, what if I as a Christian lived as a faithful follower of Jesus in every sphere of your life? I mean, your your private life, your personal life, your home life, your church life, how you were at work, how you are with your neighbor, how you are on the road when you're driving, how you are in the grocery store, how you spend your money, how you vote with politics, every single sphere of your life. What if every member of your church family was involved in a Bible study or a small group, really digging into God's Word each week and, and building godly relationships with others during the week? What do you think might happen if your church, if, if your community, if, uh, if husbands uh, in your church really love their wives as Christ loved the church? Or if wives love their husbands that way? What if husbands lifted up their wives in front of others and encouraged them at home? And again, wives did the very same thing. What if they, these husbands and wives really were devoted to one another and, and made serving one another their greatest calling? What might happen in your city if your church family prayed daily, really begging God to fill them with his spirit. What if we all pleaded with God to, to, to give us a single-minded passion and love and commitment to Christ and his kingdom? Or what if people who call themselves Christians and who were parents, what if they really took seriously their responsibility to raise their children in the training and the, the, the instruction of the Lord and did that on a daily basis? What if all the folks in a church congregation worked with unmatched integrity in their workplaces and they actually became known for it? 
that everything they said, everything they did, everything they thought at work was done for the glory of God, that it was done well, that it was done with integrity. How do you think a community might be transformed if if people that are in churches, Christians, looked for ways to serve their neighbors daily and asked for nothing in return, just like those early Christians? taking those children from the garbage heaps or those people who stayed behind to care for those who were dying even though it might lead to their own deaths. What might happen in our culture today if Christians loved others in that same way as salt and light? Now I know that many of you who are listening to this, you, you do a lot of that already. But can't you, can't you at least agree we have a lot, a lot farther to go, don't we? Jesus has told us plainly that we are to be salt and light to our world. And in the next couple of uh, podcasts, we're going to really take a close look uh, about what that means. But really, I want you to think of this first podcast in this series as a recruiting mission, I guess you could say. I am looking for a few good women and men and boys and girls. I'm looking for kingdom disciples, disciples of the kingdom of God. Disciples who see their lives and their faith as a complete world and life view. And that's what a worldview disciple is, or a kingdom disciple is. It's not simply someone who has a a few right beliefs about God, or about Jesus, or salvation, or the Bible. It's not someone who's only concerned with his or her personal salvation, as important as that is, as important as that is. But it's not someone who merely attends an occasional worship service or Bible study or listens to Christian podcasts like this one or the radio or things like that. Not somebody who simply says a blessing before they eat. As important as all those things are, and please please do not hear me say those are not important things. They are good things to be sure. Giving to charities, another good thing to be sure. They are important. But if that's what our view of discipleship is, then I think we really have a truncated, kind of a shrunk understanding of of what it means to follow Jesus. And we limit our abilities to help transform our culture for Christ. Chuck Colson speaks on this in his book, How Now Shall We Live? Uh, And I want you to hear this. This is a little bit longer quotation, but he's talking... I guess you could say I'm talking about what he's talking about rather than putting it the other way around, but he says it very well. He says this, right after signing the contract for this book, How Now Shall We Live? And while still plagued by writer's remorse, was I really convinced that this book needed to be written? My wife Patty and I visited old friends for a weekend and attended their local evangelical church, which is well known for its biblical preaching. I found the message solidly scriptural and well-delivered. That is, until the pastor outlined for the congregation his definition of the church's mission, to prepare for Jesus' return through prayer, Bible study, worship, fellowship, and witnessing. In that instant, all lingering doubts about whether I should write this book evaporated. Now, don't get me wrong. We need prayer. We need Bible study, worship, fellowship, witnessing. But if we focus exclusively on these disciplines, and if the process 
or in the process if we ignore our responsibility to redeem the surrounding culture, our Christianity will remain privatized and marginalized. It will remain privatized and marginalized. And he finishes up by saying, turning our backs on the culture is a betrayal of our biblical mandate and our own heritage because it denies God's sovereignty over all of life. Friends, a worldview disciple or a kingdom disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ who understands that because Jesus is Lord over every sphere of life, our faith, therefore, is a total, balanced, and integrated world and life view. And consequently, our lives are lived in a faithful response to that truth. Or to put it another way, a worldview or kingdom disciple is the person who has discovered that to faithfully follow Jesus Christ, he or she must think Christianly before he or she can live Christianly. And the surest sign that someone is not thinking Christianly is if they are not living Christianly. In other words, Christianity, our faith, is for all of life. It is for every sphere of life. And again, that is what I mean by worldview or kingdom discipleship. And in my opinion, in my opinion, it's only this kind of radical biblical discipleship that will transform and redeem our culture for Christ. And as I said at the beginning, ours is a culture that is in desperate, desperate need to be transformed and redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ. This is no more and no less than what Christ has called us to be in the scripture that we read already. Now, I don't want us to get overly hung up on the term worldview disciple or kingdom disciple. Really, the big idea I'm trying to communicate, and it is a big deal, is that it is something to follow Jesus means you give all of your life to him. It covers every sphere of life. It permeates every aspect of our existence. Again, as individuals, as husbands and wives, as children, as students, as co-workers, as friends, as church members, as neighbors, as citizens, and on and on and on. It was the Dutch theologian and pastor and prime minister, Abraham Kuyper, who put it this way. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Friends, what if we lived our lives as though that were true? As though we really believed with every fiber of our being that it all belongs to Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and he is Lord over every aspect, every sphere of your life? John Wesley and George Whitfield believe that. It's been said by many historians that England was well on its way to its own bloody revolution like France before it, were it not for these men and for those that they influenced with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they preached a gospel that took in the totality of life. 
John Wesley screamed from the rooftops that Christianity, he said, is a religion that has a social witness attached to it, that it's not just inward piety, but it's piety that's to impact every sphere of life. It absolutely deals with an individual's personal relationship with Christ. That, of course, is essential. But that personal relationship must bear fruit corporately, socially. The church is a covenant community, not a village of hermits. Lone Ranger Christianity is a contradiction in terms. And so we, we must be here for one another. And as we are, together, we can help begin to transform culture as we bear witness together for Jesus Christ and the impact not only that he has made in our lives, but that he can uh, impact in the lives of individuals and society and organizations and institutions and so on. The revivals of the early Methodists produced not only spiritual revival, but again brought forth political, educational, and economic reform in England. Lives were so completely and radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that, as I said, a violent revolution was avoided. Friends, if you are a Christian, I'm here to tell you that is your heritage. And if you're a Methodist Christian, I'm telling you, that's not just your heritage as a Christian. It's your heritage as a Methodist. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can there be any doubt from these scriptures and the countless others that are like them that Jesus Christ is Lord over the entire universe? And if he is, if he really is Lord over everything, if he really does have authority over every sphere of life, can you just imagine what that means in your life or in mine? What will that truth look like when we begin to live it out personally, privately, but also before a watching world? How can that life, or excuse me, how can that truth transform not only individual lives, but families and churches and workplaces and neighborhoods? and communities, and cities, and a culture, and the world. Well, we'll start taking a look at that next week as we take a look at uh, what it means to be salty salt for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the blessing of others. Guys, I really do appreciate you checking out the Walking Points podcast for today. Our culture is in definite need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salt and light influence that can help redeem and transform uh, individuals as well as a culture 
for the glory of God and for the sake of his kingdom. So I hope that you will check back next week as we take a look at part two in this series of what we might call exploring worldview or kingdom discipleship as we take a look about what it means to be salt and light influence in a dark and decaying world. Um, I hope you'll come back and uh, join me as we look at part two, Salty Salt, and what in the world that means. Guys, thanks so much. If you have uh, anything you'd like to uh, to learn and grow in the Christian faith, I hope you'll check out my website, daletetter.com. Uh, lots of resources on that, video, audio, uh, written Bible studies, devotions, uh, and links to a lot of great websites and resources that are out there that will be a real blessing to you. Guys, thanks so much for checking out the podcast today. We will see you next time.